Hey there and welcome back to Eclectish, the podcast, the final episode of season three. I'm back this week with another great episode and today I'm going to be taking you on a journey that pretty much transcends time, space and law. It also paints a great picture on dualities and both sides of the spectrum, not only when it comes to spirituality, but also universal laws in general. Of course, I'm going to explain this by talking about none other than the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, initially, this came about because lately I've been seeing white horses very often, either through tarot cards, videos, pictures, etc. And the two most prominent cards that keep popping up are both the death card and also the chariot card. Not only that, but I've lately also been getting pretty much bombarded uh, with the number seven and the seven of swords energy. I've been reading a lot about colonization and the effects of trauma caused by it regarding to our ancestors and humanity as a whole. So in order to explore a tad bit of both concepts, I'm going to ask you to grab a blanket, a cup of your favorite tea, something sweet or savory as we hop onto this chariot and go on this path. Comfortable? Well, let's begin then. Before we get into the four horsemen, I thought it best to kind of first explore the meanings of both the death card and the chariot card, and then link them to today's story. I'm first going to begin with the chariot card from the Rider Waite Tarot. Now, the chariot card often embodies the energy of the zodiac side of Cancer. Cancer is often representative of the mother aspect universally, uh, which is why Capricorn, which is its opposite, rules over the father energy. Now, as we all know, the chariot card is also number seven out of 22 major arcanas. Number seven has multiple, multiple spiritual meanings, anything from perfection, divinity, and warnings from the angels. Yet the card in itself embodies different types of meanings and symbolisms that may apply to our current circumstances if you so happen to draw this card out. Now in the upright this card may read as control, willpower, success, action, determination, fast movement forward and a victory. In the reverse however it may read as self-discipline, opposition, lack of direction, stagnation, a dead end, car slash vehicle issues or car accidents. Now that we have an inkling as to how this energy works, let's compare it to the death card, shall we? Now, the death card is number 13 of the major arcana and is ruled by the zodiac sign of Scorpio, which is also a water sign, therefore falls under the same wing as Cancer and Pisces. Typically, Scorpio embodies more so a transitional energy, maybe connecting with spirits or ancestors, sexuality and desire, the thinning of the veil between worlds, spell work and witchcraft, and ultimately, as the name suggests, death. Now, number 13 often carries the message of a transformation or curing, or the process of death and rebirth. This is mainly because it is believed life in its entirety goes about and transforms in cycles. So where there's an end, there's a new beginning right beside it. And this is what most of the time this card speaks on. However, we also cannot simply ignore the imagery and iconography that is depicted in the card so let's see the meaning behind the symbols in the death card what is often occurring is a scene after a battle has ended this is obvious because on the card riding a dead horse with red eyes is none other than the famous grim reaper he rides in a very tranquil fashion over the now dead body of what we can only assume was a king because of the crown that now lays next to him in the card are also present a pope who is speaking to the rider a young lady and a baby boy. The only people who have survived the alleged or presumed battle. The soldier is dressed in black armor and holds a black banner with a white rose on it, which in itself has its own spiritual meaning of purity, purification, beauty, 
and of course, immortality, which is insane because today I pulled the Enigma and Immortality card from my own deck. The universe is always synchronistic. Not only that, but what is also crazy is the fact that the white rose is linked to not only the bride's roses of weddings, etc., but it also symbolizes a love stronger than death. This card could also very well be linked to not only the four horsemen, but the Knight Templars who also use the White Rose as part of their symbolism. But also the Knight cards in Tarot in general. As we all know, there are four Knights in Tarot, starting with the Knight of Wands, which is a fire element, and therefore pertains to Leo, Aries, and Sagittarius. Then the Knight of Swords, Air element, Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. Knight of Cups, Water element, Cancer, Pisces, and Scorpio. And last, but certainly not least, the slowest knight of all of them, the Knight of Pentacles, which is an earth element, which pertains to Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. Now, these are typically knights that deliver messages, yet the tone or way or type of message may vary or differ depending on which knight is coming towards you. The same thing occurs with the four horsemen of the apocalypse since each one comes with an individual apocalyptic message for humanity. Before we get into the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we first have to understand how and who is actually ordained to open the portal to allow them to do their work on every square of the earth. Now, to understand this, we're going to have to learn about the lamb. Now, you may be wondering, what the hell does a lamb have to do with four horsemen? Well, I'm going to give you some brief context. In most religious or sacred texts, the lamb is an animal that is pure, and has a very much powerful essence which derives from its blood in many cases. This is mainly because using this particular animal in a sacrifice helps in various ways. Their blood is so strong in fact that it repels any ill intent, karmic or even demonic energies and it does this through being sacrificed to God. Often the term lamb is also used to describe the position and purpose that Yeshua or Christ had on earth, mainly because he was also referred to as the Lamb of God, which is also why he was described as the Paschal Lamb of the Lord, the lamb that would be sacrificed in order to free humanity from their sins. Now that you have caught a glimpse of the depth and power a lamb holds and its symbology, let's get into the actual lamb and the seven seals. Now in the book of Revelations, which is essentially a book that reveals not only some God-gifted knowledge, but also the journey to acquiring such knowledge. And last but certainly not least, its main focus is on the second coming of Christ. This knowledge is presented to us through the author, whom is the prophet John. Here in his book of revelations and prophecies is where the seven seals, judgment day, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse reside. Now, up until then, John had been driven and entrusted by God to be able to write, record, and tell the world that the second coming of Christ was near. In one of these many prophetic visions and messages acquired by the Most High, of course, is where the Lord decided to allow John to enter heaven so that he would see for himself the new future. Here, the Lord sat on his throne, and present in that moment were four angels, some very important leaders, and the prophet John. In the Lord's hands rested a papyrus scroll that had writing on both sides. However, it was rolled up and sealed by seven wax seals. This papyrus contained the four horsemen and the apocalypse that was to be set on humanity, because once again, they hadn't learned their lesson. Now, of course, as with all holy and sacred texts, not just anybody can open these, right? The requirements to open such seals had to be fulfilled by someone that had these particular characteristics. For one, they had to be pure, sacrificial, ordained, and worthy. Sadly to say, mostly none of humanity could pass that test, and the beings in heaven technically hadn't really sacrificed themselves too much, so they didn't pass it either. So you may be wondering who the hell was going to open these seals of fate. Well, 
this is exactly what the Prophet John was wondering too. And because for some minutes, no one really appeared to be claimed worthy, he really just began to weep at the mere thought that humanity didn't have any chance of salvation. Just as he had begun to weep and really just lament, one of the elders present spoke and said, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So who was the lion of the tribe of Judah then? Well, none other than the lamb, aka Joshua, God's own son, who had already sacrificed himself multiple times for earth. Now becoming or appearing as the Lord's lamb, the lamb then took the scroll from the Lord's hands and began to open each seal one by one. As it did, more and more of the Lord's punishment, justice and fate could be seen written on it. The prophet John describes the scene as, and I quote, then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went, took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. Now onto the first seal. John in particular describes the opening of the first seal as, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now this rider is very similar to the Knight of Swords energy. It is very quick, aggressive, violent in nature. Not only that, but it can also be seen in the Death card as this particular knight is conquering and dethroning people of all statuses. Now it is said that the figure that this horseman is supposedly embodying is Christ himself, which would kind of make sense since throughout sacred texts, Whenever Christ is riding a horse, it always happens to be a white one. However, some people think that this particular rider is quite the opposite. They actually believe that it just may be the Antichrist attempting to conquer, attack and kill whilst trying to paint himself as Christ, a saint. Which is exactly why the color of the horse may be misleading to some since the white horse is a symbology for purity and peace, yet the bow that the rider carries tells the opposite since it's a weapon used in battle. Some Mormon scriptures also made a very interesting parallel between the first horseman and the prophet Enoch, who is said to have been frontline or in charge of leading a battle between God's people and the unworthy. They described Enoch's role in this as, and so great was the faith of Enoch that he led the people of God, and their enemies came to battle against them, and he spoke the word of the Lord, and the earth trembled, and the mountains fled, even according to his command, and the rivers of water were turned out of their course, and the roar of the lions was heard out of the wilderness. And all nations feared greatly. So powerful was the word of Enoch, and so great was the power of the language which God had given him. Now, onto the second seal. John describes the scene as, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword. Of course, this horseman can easily, easily be linked to the only red horse in tarot, which is ridden by the Knight of Wands. This particular energy is also very much fast-paced, aggressive, impulsive, violent, almost infuriated and ready for war. Uh, not only that, but the following of the first rider by the second does make sense. 
because every time someone tries to conquer another individual place or thing, it comes with a prize, which is conflict and war. Now, this particular horseman is unidentified pretty much anywhere. However, this rider does embody the more so physical aspect or sense of warfare. The first rider creates a spiritual war of confusion, lack of clarity, and the breaking of faith and spirit, whilst the second rider finishes this off by now implicating weaponry violence and physical consequences to its victims. A lot of people also say that the second seal may also represent the division caused by religious beliefs, resulting in many deaths of innocent people and bloodshed across the land. Onto the third seal, John describes it as, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a denarius, and three measures of barley for a denarius, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, this particular horseman may not come with a spiritual nor necessarily violent demise, but rather demise of basic supplies and necessities for the survival of humans. Of course, I'm talking about food. Here he explains that things will probably go up in value, triple, and people will have to work all day just to be able to eat. Not only that, but also that the only things that will maintain themselves as they are untouchable are both oil and wine. Now, some people believe that this is because oil and wine can be traced back to both Christ and also the lamb. In most sacrifices, the lamb is oiled and also consumed with wine. Whilst in Joshua's case, this kind of differs slightly, but not too far, since in the Last Supper slash meal, he describes bread and wine as his body and blood. Here we also see the symbology of justice and balance. Not only that, but even the phrase, you reap what you sow, can be applied here as well. People that haven't sown anything for the good will not be able to reap its benefits. Rather, they will starve, and that will be their justice. On the other hand, people that have sown good seeds will now probably have the upper hand per se, since they will find it much easier to be able to pause the famine without too much hurt, and they'll also be able to survive through trading their wheat and their barley. Last, but certainly not least, we come to the last rider, the fourth and final horseman. John describes this as, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Now the last horseman, as we can see here, is named Death, which is only correct since after a spiritual, physical and food war breaks out, the only one thing that can be destined is death. This particular rider is often described as being the devil or can also be seen as the Grim Reaper who carries a scythe or sickle, which directly connects it to agriculture. Since you guessed it, it is to gather crops and seeds that have been sown. Not only does he have permission to gather and collect the souls of at least one fourth of the earth, but he's also constantly being followed by hell slash Hades, since that is exactly what he brings onto his victims and their souls. Now, those would be the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and technically, that should give you a sort of idea as to how to read or understand the historical background and context of some tarot cards, such as the four horsemen or knights. Now, this isn't to say or confirm that every time one of these cards appear, that they're to bring any means of destruction absolutely not. However, they could be linked if your intuition so tells you. I've also found very interesting the link between the four horsemen and the four steps utilized to colonize and gain control over people and countries. Now that we have some sort of idea to what rider may portray what, I wanted to show you my thought pattern behind it 
and the linking between subjects through past, present and future. As I've been digging into ancestors and history, I've noticed several patterns across humanity just keep on repeating themselves. Now, in order to colonize, you're already, in my personal opinion, have to possess some sort of distorted or warped idea that gaining control over other people may help you gain control over yourself and your immediate reality. I just wanted to express that that right there couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, at least from personal experience, the more you try to control people, places and things around you, the more control you seem to lose over yourself, really. If this is then applied to colonization, if we look at colonization through the lens of moral wrongdoing and delusional thinking, it takes a more so realistic perspective, doesn't it? The thought behind colonization actually stems in pretty much in arrogance, violence, self-hatred, and pretty much just lust for power because of a lack of personal power, not to mention unhealed trauma passed down through generations. But this is when the first horseman comes in. Most colonization doesn't immediately occur through violence. It actually occurs through the stealing, bastardization, and abuse of the faith and religion. When you oblige people to just change their faith, you force a new set of rules and commandments that don't apply, of course you're going to get retaliation. So guess what comes next? Of course the second horseman brings weaponry, war, military forces, violence, massacres, and the sacrifice of hundreds just to intimidate, abuse, and break people's spirits and culture. After such inhumane acts, what follows is the erroneous concept that violence and abuse is equivalent to power. Next up, the third horseman, famine. Now, famine can be a direct tactic to pressure people into submissiveness, brainwashing, and accepting initiation into things they don't really desire whatsoever. Not only that, but this also creates conflict and inequity amongst different people. Creating classism and elitism, causing more and more internal conflict in the people, which just leads to fragmentation of ideologies. The moral compass of everyone involved now has officially fragmented and broken. Since in situations of dire need and starvation or lack of medicines, people are now forced to bend their previously set limits and boundaries in order to survive. Here's also pretty crystal clear the issues that occur when inflation of numbers occur, when too much of one thing is passed to a certain number of people, whilst others have to work triple to get 1% of that, what occurs is obviously imbalance. Not only that, but what pe people that have signed up for wrong and unfaithful doings against the innocent are now put in a very much interesting position, to say the least. Often what people in such positions can't quite seem to manage and understand is the fact that if the skills are tipped to one side, at some point they have to be rebalanced. Therefore, if you have done wrong, you will now reap wrong. However, this tipping of the scales and balancing is evident as when the final horseman makes an appearance, he's carrying a scythe, so he's ready to harvest. Not only that, but at the same time, he brings a different form of justice. Occasionally, justice doesn't come in soft, gentle manners, but when necessary, it may come as death, which is very much scorpionic energy. This is evident through empires and leaders that have come as false prophets, caused chaos, and manifested fortune and power through the sacrificing of others, are now on the flip side of things, which is not so surprising to see empire after empire fall only a few years in. The same applies to principalities, companies, organizations, movements, and of course the people involved. I think it's very important to begin to learn, comprehend, and teach the upcoming generations that whatever your intention is, it will come back to you. Now with the energy of number 7 and number 13, we can see the depth behind each and every archetype in tarot and how dualities are always present throughout life. But I also hope that this may have sparked interest in more in-depth studies of ancient civilizations 
the laws of the universe and how these may apply in your everyday life. I hope you understood what I'm trying to explain here and I hope it may be a way to more insight and keys for your own spiritual healing and that of your ancestors and descendants. Thank you ever so much for listening to this episode and I hope you all have an amazing week ahead. Goodbye.